t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon, get a free sticker. Or don't, it's up to you. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20-watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a glare. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. All right. Um, so I don't have a list of things this week, but there's a bunch of stuff that the mayor says we're not supposed to talk about in the upcoming future stuff. Um, right now, if there's anything weird going on in the graveyard, we're not supposed to talk about it. It's part of a tours thing right now that's going on in the future, and that's why there's all the construction equipment. I am so excited because we're talking about all of my favorite things. And your favorite things are goats we and... Are, first of all... First of all, tomorrow, uh-huh. people yeah. don't know this, but we're recording on Valentine's Day. Yep, yeah. Valentine's Day to all of those who celebrated. Yes. Also, someone else recently had a birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, Abraham Lincoln and Arsenio Hall. No, I had a birthday, and I went to the Oblivions and... Uh, most people think Oblivion's is an Irish pub, but it's actually also a German restaurant as it's owned by a uh, mayor family. One of the first mayors was Oblivion Mayor Mayor. 
uh, or, or Mayor Oblivion Mayor, and Oblivion was a nickname, and then people were like, oh, are you, are, 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 are you Irish? And this was during World War One. he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, because he didn't want to say I'm yes, German. Yes, I am. Yes, I am, and this is my Irish bar that just happens to sell Liberty Cabbage. Anyway, uh, they don't sell the Liberty Cabbage, but they do have the sauerkraut, and I drink uh, German German beer out of uh, glass boots. So it's, it's yeah, traditional uh, Huntsman Bavarian style German fare. But if you go to the part where no kids are allowed, it is the, uh, the bar portion. And then there's the arcade portion that has the pool tables and and the Marble Madness, and the uh, Golden Tea, and Big Buck Hunter, and all that kind of fun stuff. Go down to Oblivion's and uh, experience the weird combination, the weird combination um, of, of, of German food, Irish food, and just bar food. All, all on the menu. I mean, they they take up half a city block, and they've technically got three different uh, kitchens. It's 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 interesting if you go there early in the morning. There's a lot of people working. Uh, there's about two, three trucks unloading stuff. I mean, it's it's busier than working at a, a grocery store. I'll tell you that. But you know, do you have a German chocolate cake? Uh, not yet, not yet. I'm supposed to get one. I've had uh, apple strudel, which is my backup until I get German chocolate cake. So uh, when I have German chocolate cake, there will be photos of it all over the internet. But and, and until then, no, no, I haven't had my German chocolate cake this year. So, so it, it, it used to bother me. Where did the Germans get the coconuts for their German chocolate cake? Oh. I figured it was probably the African core. Uh-huh. But but do you know where German chocolate cake comes from? No, no. Oh 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 yeah. No, it's actually like uh, the name is German. I I like Black Forest cakes for my birthday yeah. every year. But yeah, German chocolate is. Is uh, a, a nice Sam German. Yeah, Sam it's German it's a nice backup. I, I yeah. <laughs> it's, but do you know who else has coconut cakes? Whom? The people of Taba Island. Ooh. Their big day is tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be affluent, and that is John Fromm Day. So I'm excited. I'm, you know, I'm going to go to Oblivion's tomorrow. And we're going to have the John Fromm quiz, and it's a big holiday here in Oleander, Oleander, so I'm all excited about John Fromm Day. Yeah, I'm 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 pretty excited myself. Dusseldorf, she's she's she she wants to go down because the fact that uh, she has a pineapple outfit that she wore last year that she won a prize for and I'm like they're not going to give you a prize for the same costume twice. So they might. <laughs> they might. Uh, so she she's like what if I'm a zombie pineapple and I'm like that's not very John Fromm. But you know what? She she could walk on her hands. Yeah. And she could be an upside down pineapple cake. Very cool. Very cool. I'll tell her that. I'll tell her that. Uh, I I didn't see her. They uh, everyone went to the pool uh, over by the school, and I, I I came inside and I I just saw like shoes everywhere and like candy wrappers in the bathroom sink. But yeah, uh, kids. Anyway, <laughs> we're not talking about kids, goats. But we're talking about some of my favorite things today. We're talking about some of your favorite things today, Dave. Um, but before we get too far, yeah, we've got to talk about one of our favorite people Ooh. who reach, who the show reached out to. Yeah, yeah. So last week, you and I were having this discussion 
about iHeart. Yeah, yeah, that's and true. And I thought it was Airheart or iEheart. So we reached out to the creator yeah. of iHeart, Ramsey Campbell, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he explained that it, it's pronounced, and this is the way he said it, I would pronounce it iHeart. Yeah. He didn't put I created the dang thing. You're going to say it the way I am. I mean, the guy is such a nice <laughs> British gentleman. He was like, I would pronounce it this way. I mean, yeah. So we're, we're, we're hoping to have Mr. Campbell on the show soon. Oh, yeah. But for yeah. those of so, you that were yelling at my pronunciations last week of iHeart, yeah. you're right. <laughs> I pronounced <laughs> it wrong. But you know what? When the creator of a recognized Cthulhu mythos deity uh-huh, tells uh-huh. me how I should be pronouncing it. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. You tell me all I'm wrong. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, we will do that. PGTTCM uh, at gmail.com. <laughs> yes. And we are also talking about one of my favorite things. We are talk, discussing a Deleuthian heresy. Yeah. Yeah. As well as we're talking about obscure correspondence from Lovecraft Uh, and we are also talking to one of my favorite guests and that is Jennifer Brody she's been on the show before nice she's cool she writes mainly as Vera Strange Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and she writes among other things the um, the chill the children horror series for Disney very cool. Very and cool. she is writing the in the upcoming uh, Sith and Jedi anthology that's coming out in June. Cool. She's writing the Darth Vader story. Oh, very cool. I love Darth and, Vader. And I believe it's going to be published under uh, uh, under Vera Strange. I don't think they're letting it use a real name, but it, usually at the end of the book he says, "Yeah." I mean, you can go on the Disney website. It says, "You know, this is really me." But we're going to be discussing. And you got to remember, we had this conversation last week. Oh, yeah. So before the final episode of the Book of Boba Fett. Gotcha. And we're discussing not only the series, but we both made two predictions, and at least one of our predictions each turned out true. Well, that's cool. That's cool. I didn't, I didn't realize that it was the final episode. <laughs> yeah. So, have you seen it yet? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've seen it, but I'm gonna give. I I I enjoyed the heck out of the series from episode one. For me, it wasn't a slow burn that I made myself watch. Uh, I recently talked to someone who was like, I don't know about that show. I, I was watching it and I'm like, well, who's this fat guy? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, Dad, I think they uh, they they modeled these people. I mean, I think Mo- Boba Fett was kind of modeled for the age group that uh, is its main core audience. People who think Boba Fett have were cool when they were 12 years old, and that's like yeah. 45 to 65 year old schlubby guys who think that they could, you know be Boba Fett if they trained enough. And then my dad was like, yeah, I don't know about that. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Guy who thinks he could be Boba Fett. (laughs) But yeah, no, I I thought it was a great fun series. Uh, Quite a bit of fun. Um, I, I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. There was a bunch of stuff that I predicted. But also, I've seen a lot of crime stuff. I've, I've, I, I've seen a lot of, like, uh, Robert Rodriguez things, 
I've, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the genre. I've played with action figures. I, I know obscure comic books and like stuff that's now in Legends that's been brought back into canon. And it's like, oh, this is probably going to happen. This is going to happen. And this is going to happen. It's, I, I don't think it's predictable, predictable. I don't think you have to have like some kind of like major IQ to predict what's going to go on, but it's like it's like oh cool. All right. Yeah, no, you know, definitely using uh Chekhov's blaster here. I know um Chekhov used a phaser in Star Trek, but I'm talking about Anton Chekhov, not Ulyov Chekhov. I can't remember what his name is on the show. Uh Star Trek. Or Pavel. Pavel 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 Chekhov. Okay. Pavel yeah. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're, I was talking about Anton Chekhov, not, not Pavel Chekhov. I'll have to edit that out so I sound way smarter. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I got way off track there. Anton Chekhov wrote The Seagulls. Yes. <laughs> For all you Chekhov fans. But then, yeah, so we have a really, really discussion, great discussion. Cool. And I'm hoping that we're going to – yeah, I, I just – when I don't inter, usually I try to interview. I don't interview Jennifer. It's just the two of us having a conversation about things that we love. Sure. So we're hoping that we're going to have her back on the show uh, right when uh, Disney releases that Sith and uh, Jedi book. Very cool. That, that that that'll be awesome. I'm excited to hear about that. So, all right. Um, let's. Uh... Let's talk about something else that I find very exciting. All right. Der Luthien Heresy. Yeah. I have been pushing slowly to discuss some sort of Der Luthien Heresy for like the last six months, and now we are. Yeah, and— uh, A greater Der Luthien Heresy, because Derleth has a lot of heresies. Definitely. And I just want to say, before we get into this, if you have anything to say about this, if you have anything to say about any topic we've talked about, you can go to pgttcm.com. Go to contact, fill out what they say, and I'll say it in my spooky voice. <laughs> David was wrong. <laughs> David was wrong. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and goats love raisins. There's a whole lot of raisins and two scoops, or anything you want. So, um, not anything you want, just your, your response to uh, whatever we're talking about. And I just probably just dug us. Oh no, I, I set a trap for myself. Um, but yeah, Dar Dar Darlethian heresies. Uh, we've been wanting to talk about this for a while, and elemental theory is. We we we'd gotten past Durleth when uh, uh, we realized that we wanted to talk about it. But yeah, no, then elemental theory came up in alphabetical order, and we're like, yeah, let's talk about it now. And so, what is the elemental theory heresy? Where does it come from? And uh, so, so why why is it important at the same time a heresy? <laughs> so, so first, I think we have to, and and I'm assuming that if you're listening to this show, you you're familiar at least with the name August Derleth. Yeah, Augie Dog Derleth. And, and, and we're going to be bad mouthing him, but there's mm. got to be something that's really said about August Derleth. Mm -hmm. Derleth pretty much started the first successful independent printing house yeah. with the Arkham House. And it was specifically designed 
to protect and preserve Lovecraft's writing. Mm-hmm. And as such, Derleth felt that he was the gatekeeper. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm going to sort of quote S.T. Joshi here. Um, and I think Joshi is kind of being generous to Derleth um, that Derleth may have honestly believed that he had the right yeah. to Lovecraft stories, even though he did not legally have the right. Mm-hmm. When Lovecraft told him, you know, was complaining about, you know, well, he was complaining to Lovecraft that I think it was uh, Farnsworth Wright was upset that he had mentioned uh, one of Lovecraft's ideas in his story. Lovecraft says, well, you can pretty much do whatever you want to with my stories. Yeah. And, and Daryl kind of took that as becoming his, his legal inheritor. He's not. Mm-hmm. His literary inheritor is going to be uh, Barlow. Yeah. But unfortunately, uh, Bob Barlow is going to die very young, very tragically. Mm-hmm. And so there's nobody going to challenge Derleth. So Derleth becomes this sort of, in a way, and I don't mean this in, in bad ways or the other people, he becomes to the Lovecraft mythos, the Cthulhu mythos. In fact, he coins the term Cthulhu mythos. Mm-hmm. He becomes the Cthulhu mythos what Gary Gygax is to early D&D, yeah. what Stan Lee is to early Marvel comics. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. And so Derleth has several different ideas. And one of them that he brings up yeah. in a uh, his short story, Return of Hoster. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, Derleth wants to call the Lovecraft mythos, or the HP, excuse me, the Cthulhu mythos. Yeah. He wants to call it the Hathor, a Hathor mythos first. Uh-huh. But then Daniel Wandry says, you know, Lovecraft didn't create create Hoster. Uh, <laughs> so, um, in Return to Hoster, though, yeah, uh, we kind of get this first real kind of understanding of who Hostor is in a a Cthulhu mythos setting. Yeah. yeah. Where he's just used in the past as sort of a background mm-hmm, mm-hmm. character or mention. And in this story, there's a couple things that come up. One, we find out that in this universe, H.P. Lovecraft was real. Yeah. And, and part of that is because, you know, Derelith is self-advertising, mm-hmm. which, you know, more power to you, guy. He's basically getting people to buy Lovecraft books where he's the only one who's publishing them. Mm-hmm. So he brings – he's basically advertising Lovecraft and his books yeah. in his short story. But he also comes up with this sort of bizarre theory that relates medieval elementals the, the Cthulhu mythos, mm-hmm. and that that Hastor is from space, so he must be an air god. Yeah, yeah. Which honestly, you know, uh, <laughs> I think is a better choice. And he and Daryl created Ithaca, uh-huh. um, and that 
the water god or water elemental is Cthulhu uh-huh. because he's trapped in water and he yeah. lives in water. Yeah. And that, um, oh, the earth god, it, he related with Subnegonroth, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is, uh, could be, you know, is a, uh, perverted fertility goddess. She's a dirty a, girl. <laughs> well, I was. It could be a version of Mother Nature. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he kind of leaves out fire. Yeah. So he gets this sort of, he gets this, basically letter and encouragement to push this theory from someone uh, named. Francis Towner Lanny. Yeah. Uh, and he says, you made your own fire god. Why didn't you push it? So, so Lanny really starts pushing the elemental theory. Yeah. But also that, you know, his fire god, uh, you know, Chagatha should be the fire elemental. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So not a lot, a lot. I don't think a lot of casual Lovecraftians know a lot about Lanny. Yeah. So Lanny was wrote um, The Acolyte. Okay. Which was in the 1940, this was a fanzine. Okay. And a lot of people, they don't know what a fanzine is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But before we had web pages, we had people <laughs> literally, and the first couple of Acolytes were actually mimographed. Huh. And so um, these were basically homemade fan magazines. Whoa. But the Acolyte is like some really, has some really big influence Mm -hmm. on Lovecraft studies, even though Lanny is basically forgotten. I think he published it from 1942 to 1946. Mm-hmm. And he has things like um, uh, Clark Ashton Smith writes poems for him. Yeah. Um, the famous p- picture of Lovecraft drew of Cthulhu where it looks like he's on the toilet. Yeah, yeah. That's published in Acolyte. Oh, cool. Um, what Lovecraft's version of... Uh, the Elder Sign, that's going to be published in Acolyte. Um, the, Donald Wondry is going to publish stories. Yeah, yeah. And, and it goes on for about two or three years. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and in this, he writes articles really pushing Derleth to go towards this elemental theory, mm-hmm, which yeah. is breaking the... Cthulhu mythos into the four classical Western European elements, fire, water, earth, and air. And so a lot of, so we think of this as, and as near as I can tell, Derleth kind of came up with the idea um, with Return to Hoster, Mm -hmm. which was not published until after Lovecraft died. Yeah. Lovecraft did read a version of it uh, and gave tactive approval but I don't know if he actually read the version that had the elemental theories in it. So Lanny is the person that really starts pushing uh, for this this belief system. 
which there's absolutely no evidence that Lovecraft supported or suggested. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to go, like I said, up until the 70s, mm-hmm. until other publishing houses like Del Rey and Tor start picking up Lovecraftian stories. It's going to be the way that Lovecraft is seen. Yeah, yeah. Because Derleth at this time is the ultimate gatekeeper. Yeah, yeah. And I, I see that like this, this era of Lovecraft is really kind of, uh, you can see who read it and who it influenced uh, specifically with horror. Uh, specifically, I'm going to say like Stephen King. And when it comes to like comics, it's, it's, it's like there's a lot of like DC and Marvel uh, cosmic monsters and stuff like that are very kind of elementally tied. And uh, uh, I feel like you see that a lot in the uh, late late 50s, early 60s kind of uh, monster phase kind of stuff. But you can't say that it's like a demon or something like that. And you can't say that it's a multidimensional... So, you know, it's just a fire monster. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so a lot of this will be because of comic code authority. Yeah. They'll they'll become aliens. Sure. Yeah. And that good thing the Cthulhu mythos is full of aliens. Weird. Exactly. Ones. Mm-hmm. And and this is going to be of course a, a huge pulp time Yeah. because in the 70s we're going to also develop Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of return to uh, pulp, a lot of uh, people who grew up on pulps writing, and then those people writing again in the 70s, the people who grew up on the stuff that written by the people who grew up on pulp. So, <laughs> so, so I, I Donald Mundry, who is going to be one of the persons that starts Arkham House, yeah. he's going to be the bigwig in D.C. up yeah. until... You know, early 80s. Definitely, definitely. And uh, you can't tell me that uh, Jack Kirby didn't read some uh, August Derleth at some point in time. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure he did. <laughs> and the, the one thing that I think a lot of people sort of mock Derleth with. Sure, yeah. Is this theory that, that, um, that Cthulhu is basically a form of a water elemental. Yeah, yeah. Where... First of all, I think Lovecraft very much said that this is this is very powerful alien. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, has powers that are science and technology that's magic to mere human beings. Sure. And Lovecraft sure. is kind of making him into this water elemental, mm-hmm. but he's imprisoning him in water. Yeah. And, and that kind of reminds me, have you ever seen uh, The Gamer's Darkness Rising? Oh, probably. So, so, and it's this guy's part of it is this guy's making this this module, a D and D module. Uh-huh. But in it, he writes, you know, specifically that 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 gods can only be trapped in their element. Okay. So the god, they have to free the goddess of light from a prison of light. Uh-huh. You know, and it, you know, it talks about how he had to to drain and uh, suck out all the water from the surround, you know, the water god. Uh, and I always thought that that maybe was, maybe that, they were obviously, they went on, um, oh, um, 
dead gentleman, which did that, went on and did uh, uh, Dark Dungeons or uh-huh. influenced Dark Dungeons. So they obviously, you know, they knew what Lovecraft was because Cthulhu yeah. appears there. Mm-hmm. So I've always thought maybe that was affected by the Deleuzian heresy. Oh, sure. Definitely. Definitely. But yeah, uh the Derlethian heresy, I definitely like feel like if rewritten, you could, you could, one can always say, well, yeah, no, that's, that's a heresy, uh, that, uh, <laughs> well, well, I think it works very good as a human perception. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Lovecraft yeah. definitely brought in John D. Yes. To say, you know, D translated the Necronomicon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Deep was definitely an alchemist. Yeah. So so maybe it's not that that Cthulhu is this water elemental. It's these human being mystics misunderstand him. Oh it's sure. It's a human perception, not not who he's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, no, no. And if you think that, you know, Haster, since Haster's from space, so he must be air, I mean that's that's definitely like not understanding uh, space, not uh, understanding that there is no space. I mean, there is no air in space; that it's a vacuum. And uh, uh, <laughs> maybe he's the god of ether or solar winds that, or that's something. It. I think that that that's and and that's, that's evidence in the story. Really pushing Lovecraft it. says there is ether in space. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, he's more of the god of ether. And then you really have to like shoehorn the Bayaki in there and be like, and he has solar steeds that ride on ether. And then it's like, well, then are the elder things like, they don't worship Haster. They, they, (laughs) I don't know who they worship, but anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's another heresy where he basically promotes the elder things to the elder gods. Yeah. 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 And, and I don't know. I, I kind of feel like, um, you know, it's 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 like the 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 deep ones. Uh, they worship Dagon and Hydra because the fact that they're the greatest of theirs, and Dagon and Hydra worship Cthulhu because Cthulhu's there and it's the biggest thing, and Cthulhu worships Azathoth, and so I don't know. They they worship Cthulhu though, not as like. They worship him like a god, but I feel like if 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 Cthulhu was in the mountains, there would be some sort of like I don't know, uh, people in the mountains that worshipped Cthulhu like a god, or something in the mountains that worshipped Cthulhu like a god. Um, <laughs> it just happens. I, I think almost maybe the best example would be sort of like how the Egyptians worship the pharaoh. Yeah. As God incarnate, mm-hmm, but realize mm-hmm. that there was something above the Pharaoh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I I, 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 I don't know. I, I forget where I'm even going with this. Um, I, I just, I just don't necessarily know how. Uh, I don't know how Haster necessarily works with like. I, I, it's, it's like we know that Cthulhu is like the biggest. Mm-hmm on earth of its species but it's like haster is this thing that's like it's it's so many light years away and it's influencing people in so many ways depending on what writer it is and like just like there's a play written about 
Haster that makes people go crazy. And I don't know, all Cthulhu does is every once in a while make people go crazy. And sometime in the future, someone prophesies that it will rise up and make everyone go crazy. And I don't know. It's it's like I, I feel like Haster and Cthulhu aren't on the same page. <laughs> so, like, so, so they're not. And to make things a little bit more, say, confusing. Yeah. Um, Lovecraft also wrote something as a joke. Yeah. And that was the family tree of the outer of the old god. Oh yeah, yeah. That was there was not meant to be taken seriously. Oh sure, yeah, no. Dareleth takes it seriously. Oh yeah, yeah. And so, so we have a lot of stuff you'll read, especially a lot of the role playing stuff. It'll say this god is this god's uncle. Well, Lovecraft was joking about that, but I think it's Hoster, You know, it's his air elemental, and he's the half brother of the water elemental. Yeah. So, so yes, that's one of the other places where uh, where Daryl's hangs on to this um, this theory, and he also hangs on to this other theory, which are contradictory. Yeah. So yeah, I I I I don't think that there is. That's one of the reasons I refer to it as a heresy. I don't think that this was an idea that Lovecraft ever thought of. And I don't think, I, even though he published it, I don't think Derleth would have doubled down a mu- as much as he did yeah. on the elemental theory if it wasn't things like people like Tyranny pushing him to do it. Uh, headcanon, I, someone who I think started the whole thing, was Sathagwa telling everyone that he was the grandson of uh, Azathoth. It's like, well, you know, I'm a grandson of Azathoth. And uh, I heard, I heard, I heard from, uh, from, some, uh, from some of those uh, orange, orange monkey men that live in uh, the mountain above me that uh, one of my ancestors, who's also one of their ancestors, Went down into civilization and tore stuff up. So, say that's pretty cool. And uh, my inky children totally wrecked that city. Yep. Oh, and yeah, I, I, I am, I am the grandson of Azathoth. That's, that's why that stuff happened, you guys. So worship me like a god, not as the biggest of uh, y'all, but I'm just a god. I totally my. My grandfather, Azathoth, lives in Canada. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's the that's the, the Derluthian her- one of many, but the elemental heresy of August Derleth in a, in the nutshell. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 my it's not my favorite uh, uh, Derluthian uh, heresy. Mine is the uh, strict uh, adherence to the the. the family tree, which I kind of am a fan of in like headcanon wise for like reasons like, oh yeah, this person and that person are related, but according to the whatever, but uh, I, I, I really like where Sathagwa is and like how it's like all these like Clark Ashton Smith stories kind of like feed into like children of Sathagwa anyway, but yeah. uh, 
It's like some of that stuff is stuff that like happens in Clark Ashton Smith. I think that's Clark Ashton Smith's family tree, which Clark Ashton Smith treats a little bit more serious than Lovecraft does. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, Darlethian Heresy, write us. Tell us uh, your favorite Darlethian Heresy. And Good versus evil. Yeah. Him putting Lovecraft's names on stuff that he didn't have any right to. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people, uh, I, I don't know if that's a, a Derlithian heresy as much as that is uh, August Derleth lying to the public <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for uh, publishing sales. Um, yeah. yeah cl- claiming copyright when he didn't have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also the not The whole Elder God cool. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, but uh, then, then, then it's like he's better known for a totally different genre by a bunch of different people. Uh, he's also got one of the coolest desks ever, had one of the coolest desks ever. And, yeah, <laughs> those are some good things I'm going to say about Durleth. Oh yeah, and he and we would not if he hadn't started Arkham House, nobody would have heard of Lovecraft. Yeah. No, no, we wouldn't be talking about. Uh, oh man, it's like uh, we wouldn't be talking about Lovecraft. We wouldn't be talking about Mackin. We wouldn't be talking about Robert W. Chambers. Uh, we wouldn't be talking about a lot of people if it wasn't for uh, Durleth. And you know, it's 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 like. Oh, uh, two people, I think, really kind of, like, kept, did stuff with the Cthulhu mythos that kept it going and moving are August Derleth and Sandy Peterson. And I, I, I don't know, people can argue with me, but that's my opinion, which is well, right. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and even, and I know this will kind of, but even, you know, uh, Ramsey Campbell oh, yeah. and Block sure. and, and uh, Donald Wondery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, they're still getting in ties into Derelith. Even, you know, um, even William Pugmire is going to go through Derelith. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, uh, so you know, as much as, uh, as I harp on, <coughs> excuse me, as I harp on the guy. Yeah. You know, we do own a debt of thanks. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, uh, yeah, like, it just, just even slightly a bit codifying stuff and saying that this reality and this reality, these books are all created together. Uh, it's not just these stories that have the same titles and that may share the same monsters, you know. It's, it's a shared universe. It's not just a coincidence that uh, Necronomicons exist in this story and that story. It's the same book, people. I mean, that's, that's really cool that Durleth did that. But to, like, make it as kind of, like, I don't know, easy to file as, as he did... I don't know, but I, I feel like a lot of authors went, well, not like that, but like this. Um, like, Lynn Carter did stuff like that where he was like, well, what if it's more like prayers and stuff? And I, I personally really like that approach to the Cthulhu mythos where it's like, uh, it's not so much stories of like people interacting with it. It's more like kind of like little bits and pieces to help you understand possibly what the story is that's actually going on around it. But anyway, <sighs> Derlithian heresy. Okay. 
Anything else you have to say before we uh, trek no, off to the next part? No, but now we're going to go on to some Jedi heresy. Ooh. All right, so Jedi heresy. That would be a cool movie. I hope that's like... Or a video game. Yeah, yeah. That'd be a cool video game if it's not already a video game. And uh, before we uh, go to the next part, did I tell you last time that I was uh, playing uh, Force Unleashed? Uh, I think you mentioned it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I haven't gotten back to it because everyone's been on the TV, but <laughs> I'm going to play some tonight after I get done recording. Uh, all right. Anyway, you talk about Jedi heresies. I'm going to wait back here for a little bit and then hop back on, and you and me are going to talk about some Dungeons & Dragons or how to use uh, a bunch of broken stuff in your uh, Dungeons & Dragons game. All right, everyone, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you in a bit. Now, let you know, too, it's, it's the same show. We're working, so I let all the things with my partner, DB, work everything. So the name gets changed every once in a while. So it's gone back to all the shows are on together on the People's Guide to Cthulhu Mythos, but we don't just exclusively talk about the mythos. Mm, okay, awesome. Oh, yeah, I'm doing something for Weird Tales, by the way. Oh. Speaking of Cthulhu. Oh, yeah, but yeah. The, then he's doing the Amazing Tales and... Yeah, they relaunched the magazine Jonathan Mayberry's editing, and I'm doing a story. Uh, I think it'll be out maybe December. So oh, that's another cool. thing I'm working on. Speaking of Lovecraft. Oh, awesome! So, so, uh, so my partner though, real quickly, he found a whole bunch of public domain, amazing tale stories. People, voice actors were reading. Wow, that's so cool. And so, and they'll be like, so once a, once a week, we also release some of these. And most of them, like, I think, I think they were done like in the fifties. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and start then, unless you got any questions for me. No, I think we're good. And here we are. And this is the time where I talk to somebody who's not DB. And we are very lucky because we got a returning guest and this is Jennifer Brody. Jennifer, you want to tell your audience a little, or our audience a little bit about who you are? Uh, yeah, I'm Jennifer Brody. I also write under my pen name of Vera Strange, which I love. And I'm the author of, I think, more than 12 books at this point. Um, I wrote the 13th Continuum Trilogy, and I write the very popular Disney Chill series for Disney, which stars their most iconic villains. My sixth book in that series comes out in August and features Maleficent. And I'm excited because I'm working on, or I finished, my first piece for Star Wars, which will be out in an anthology in June called Stories of Jedi and Sith. And I I mean, I'm Dark... very excited about this. Yeah, it's a great lineup of authors and characters. And I wrote the Darth Vader story. So, wow, that was a big one to tackle. But I'm really happy with how it 
came out and excited to see what happens when it publishes. So yeah, I write stuff. Um, my background is I used to work in Hollywood for a long time. I worked on a lot of big movies like Lord of the Rings, Golden Compass, did a lot of book to film work, and I'm basically just a big nerd for all this stuff. Absolutely love it. Writing you got Star a couple Wars graphic novels under your belt too, don't you? Yep. I got two. Um, Spectre Deep Six, which was Stucker nominated, which we're very proud of, was my debut. And then another one called 200, and those are with a really cool artist named Jules Rivera. So, and I'm hoping to do some more graphic novel work uh, coming up in the next year or two. Among all my projects, I'm juggling. Thanks for reminding me. Sometimes I forget what I do. <laughs> You're welcome. We'll include links. And we want to thank your patience because, as most of our audience know, we record on a working farm. So uh, <laughs> you may hear some farm noises. Uh, the dogs are out uh, patrolling. And now come March, we're actually going to have a we're going to have our first of baby goats out. So, uh, but right now you're baby probably going to hear so dogs cute. and roosters. Baby goats are so cute. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, so before I get sidetracked and not talk about star Wars, but yeah, baby goats are all the good things that are in kittens and puppies in one. That's a very accurate description. So last time, we want to really thank you. We kind of really sort of opened us up, and you talked a little bit about Aliens, how much you love the franchise, and, and some experiences, you know, I believe what is Alien 3 that you, you you kind of bonded with your dad over? Yeah, I mean, Alien was one of those iconic franchises. I mean, I owe a lot of my influences to my dad, who got me into so much cool stuff, including Star Wars, which I think we're about to talk about. Yeah, so, so what what were some of your, your younger experiences with Star Wars or, or experiences with Star Wars when you were younger? Well, my dad is a huge fan, and when we were kids, he was just very excited to introduce us, and he went and rented the first original Star Wars movie, which I know is now called A New Hope, and brought it home for me and my brothers to watch, and we loved it. Although I will say, like, having worked with Vader recently... I really was channeling, because for me, the first time I saw him, which is in the prologue of the movie where he comes in, like, he scared the hell out of me. Vader was oh, yeah. terrifying. Like, the breathing, you're like, who is this giant dude in this crazy black costume? He's, like, force strangling people right off the bat. And the whole film, he's a very menacing presence. And that was one of the things I really tried to channel in the story was kind of bringing him back to his roots, where he's actually really terrifying. He's a great villain. He's one of the most iconic, and he really actually is the main character of the entire film franchise, if you think about it. Um, it really is Anakin's story and his family story at the core of the original movies and the prequels. So, um, anyway. Yeah, his prequels yeah. and the original Star Wars are kind of his rise, fall, and redemption arc. Yeah, and I mean, it really, the last beat, I mean, we really end with his redemption. It's, you know, space opera. I always say Star Wars really is the Skywalker family tragedy in outer space. It's Greek tragedy at the core and the heart. And I think that's where the newer films kind of went awry, is they tried to make it not about the Skywalkers, but the films are their story. They've always been their story. That's what Greek tragedy is. So, yeah, that's why I love the prequels so much. I think Anakin has one of the greatest arcs. I'm super stoked that Hayden is coming back and reprising Vader in the shows coming up because I actually think Hayden Christensen did a wonderful job um, with Anakin and with Darth Vader. Um, so, yeah, I'm super excited about that. But anyways, the big thing is we got to the end of the movie, and my dad's like, well, there's two more, and we had to wait overnight for him to go rent 
Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and it was, like, waiting a million years. And then he was like, we had to wait, like, years for these to come out. And I remember being like, gosh, how did you do that in real time? Because, you know, they're so fantastic, and especially that gap between Empire and Return of the Jedi. So from that point forward, we were just huge fans. And my aunt, actually, my Aunt Jackie, worked on Lucas Ranch in the merchandising department for George Lucas. And she used to send us all these toys. We had, like, Skywalker Ranch sweatshirts. I think at the time she was working, they were doing Willow, which I'm so excited they're doing a new series. I love Willow. I think it's underappreciated. So we had all this Willow stuff. Um, But, yeah, it's just been a thing my whole life. I've always been a huge fan. You know, I was there day one for episode one, opening in the theaters. And it's a dream to get to work with their characters now as a writer, you know, and to write things that are technically canon um, is quite exciting. And the fact that they let me tackle Darth Vader, I was like, oh, wow. Because, there's you know, not a lot of people in this universe that I'm jealous of. I'm a little mm-hmm. bit jealous of you. Yeah, well, you know, in the beginning when they reached out, um, they're they're over there, they're pretty big fans of what I've done with Disney chills and with the Disney villains and how I've made them kind of really scary again. And, you know, I guess I'm known for my villains work. So I, I thought originally they'd give me something, you know, High Republic or something newer. Um, I didn't expect them to give me what I consider to be the core character. So that was a big thing to bite off um, in a lot of ways, but I'm really proud of how my story came together. And I'm really hopeful to do more work with them in the future because there's just so much exciting stuff going on uh, with Star Wars, with the universe, with um, the TV series now in particular. I think they've very much found their footing in the publishing universe, all the High Republic stuff. Marvel does great comics. Um, I'd love to see them do more graphic novels going ahead as well because I think um, that's a very rich arena. But, yeah, it's just an exciting time all around for Star Wars fans and people like me who are sort of dipping our toes into writing it. And and I'm so glad that they're using some things that originated in the comic books in the series. Oh, yeah. Oh, and in Clone Wars. I mean, you know, the thing is I get very frustrated by some Star Wars fans who, like, are very negative about George Lucas because I'm like, this thing you love most in the world was created by this dude. This guy literally made this thing. And, and how can you, you know, the thing that you love all came from him, really. You know, the original movies, that's his vision. Um, but one of the greatest things Lucas did was the Clone Wars animated series. You know, in the beginning, people were really skeptical about him doing it animated, um, especially CGI and what was going on. And, you know, I love the prequels. I think they're very vindicated now in reference to the new films. But Clone Wars has ended up being one of the greatest things. And now, yeah, exactly. We're seeing characters come out of that, out of comics, and come in to the live action, which is, I think, very exciting. There are very few times that I have gasped at my TV screen. Yeah. But when Black Chrysanthemum walked into the screen and I recognized who he was, for those who are listening, that's that huge, giant, uh, dark, uh, wookie gladiator. Oh, he's fantastic. I, I literally gasped. Oh, he's so fantastic. And I, you know, obviously I'm not working um, on the TV side, so I didn't know that, that was going to happen either. But I will give a hint on my story, which is it may or may not involve some Wookiee stuff because I freaking love Wookiees, and I feel they've been underutilized quite a bit, actually, in the storytelling because they're just great, you know? And so having him come in, I was like, exactly and Wookiees are multidimensional. They're not just, you know, kind of like Chewbacca. Like, here's this guy who is a bounty hunter, you know? Exactly. And, and he's also, although, you know, Black Chrysanthemum started in the Darth Vader comics, 
he's most yep. associated with my one of my most favorite of all Star Wars characters is Dr. Afra. Oh yeah, that's so cool. I have a yeah. goat named Dr. Afra. Oh, shut up. That's so cool. Oh, those Marvel Darth Vader comics are fantastic. I actually went back when I was just, you know, trying to get because you know Vader has a very specific cadence to how he talks and a very specific presence. I um I looked a lot at the comics because they're so great, you know, mm-hmm. and they go a lot into Vader's story a lot more in depth. Um, I always say he's like the king of like he loves the put down, like the backhanded, like you know he loves he just loves to talk negatively to people. <laughs> he has some great lines, Vader. I love him and stuff. Oh, absolutely. So, so what are some of your thoughts about now? Just uh, for our audience, we're recording this before the last episode yeah. of of the Book of Boba Fett is out. It's probably going to be broadcast the week after. So. Our, our audience may have a better idea how the series is ending than we do, but what are some of your thoughts so far about the series? Well, I have to say, from the beginning, I've loved it. Like, it, obviously, the teaser at the end of Mandalorian season two was so great and so beautifully shot that, like, one shot of him on the throne with Fennec Shand. So I was very excited about it and excited that Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez, was coming in to do some work, which we hadn't really seen him involved, but you know these shows have such a Western influence and Rodriguez is really great with that kind of tone. I was also really excited that they brought the original actor in as opposed to trying to recast. And I think across the board, they've been really great about that. Um, It makes me really happy, not recasting iconic characters, but working with these amazing actors who have played them or voiced them in different ways. Um, We'll talk about Luke in a minute, but um, yeah, and it was so crazy because when it started, I just thought all the flashbacks, all the stuff they were doing with his character, explaining what happened after Return of the Jedi, the Sand People stuff in particular stood out as fantastic. Um, and his growth as a as a character from all of that and his experiences after the Sarlacc pit, uh, I thought was great. And I think, you know, I saw so much negative stuff going around from folks about the show, calling it boring, not liking his acting. And it really kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes. Some of the toxicity that I see on social media with the fandom at times. Um, and I know it's a vocal minority. Um, and so for me, I just felt like, hey, give them a chance. You know, they're setting up, they're building character, you know, and the acting, you know, I was like, do you not remember what Star Wars is? It's got stilted dialogue. It's got weird acting, you know, it's, it's Star Wars. It's kind of iconic to the property. You know, if you go back, if you've ever shown someone Star Wars, who's never seen it and they're an adult now, often they're like, what is this? <laughs> you know? Because it's so specific. (laughs) But that's Star Wars, right? And so um, I particularly think Fennec Shand is a great character. I love how they brought her around and kept her in the show. Um, Ming-Na is such a fantastic actress. Yes. So the whole beginning was setting up Oba's character and what's going on on Tatooine with all of that. Um, you know, and the, the pikes coming in. And then it digressed. Obviously, we're going to talk about that in the last two episodes in this fantastic way where we got the, re, you know, the return of the Mandalorian. <clears throat> yeah. And, and so I, I probably should have said this too. If you have not seen the episodes, at least up to the, the penultimate one, we may be going through spoilers. So, you know, and, and that's fine. Don't, yes. Don't feel that you need to, to hold back here. 
Yeah, I mean, I think at this point coming in, we have to talk about it, you know, and I think, gosh, him coming in was so great. Everything about it, that episode, the Darksaber, the training with the Darksaber, the forging of the Beskar for Grogu. Totally reminded me of Lord of the Rings. I'm like, he's going to have like a little mithril (laughs) coat to protect him, you know, (laughs) it's going to be like Frodo. Exactly. Um, so cool. And just that he's, you know, Mandalorian's character is always thinking about Grogu. I call him Daddy Mando. I've been calling him Daddy Mando since season one when he goes into daddy mode. Because he's daddy. Yes. He's Daddy yeah. Mando, you know. And, <laughs> and another sort of comic book reference. And I think they did this on purpose. But it reminds me a lot of Lone Wolf and Cub. Yeah, well, that, that was John Favreau's original pitch for the series. He was like, it's Lone Wolf and Cub. You know, Kurosawa, but with uh, Mandalorian and a baby Yoda. It's freaking genius, really. Um, and Grogu, I thought in that episode it was great that they clarified or, or Din Djarin clarified that, you know, Grogu is a foundling. Yes, he's a Jedi, but historically there have been, you know, Mandalorian who were Jedi. Yeah. Right? So he yeah. is a foundling. He is also a Jedi. And I thought that clarity was really beautiful. Um, and of course, everyone knows we got so many amazing little things in this. We got, you know, I mean, I think it's Anakin's mothership, you know? Yeah, ab- absolutely. We got and, the, and Nab- s- the Naboo, you know, fighter. <laughs> like, yes. that was so cool. And I, you know, I, I haven't read a lot online, but I think it's Amidala's ship, isn't it? So, so this is what I've heard. That it's it's actually one of the sister ships that Anakin flew, and that it has a different number on it than Anakin's different serial number on it. So it's not Anakin's ship, but it's one of the ships from that squadron. That's so cool. I literally have the Hallmark Christmas ornament of the Naboo fighter. It's such a cool ship, and. You know, when he was going to see Luke, I was like, oh, my God, he's literally bringing, like, his mother's ship, sort of, to see Luke. Like, that's crazy, you know? Yeah, the details. The details are just amazing there. It's so, yeah, it's so beautifully done. It makes sense because, you know, Tatooine is this place with salvage going on. You know, that's been from the beginning with the Jawas. Exactly, and, and I loved, I loved the the giant sand crawler with the crate dragon skull on it. Oh, that was amazing! Oh yes, that was freaking fantastic. I also died when she's all like, "Yeah, I used to date a Jawa, hairy little critters," and I was like, almost died. I thought that was the funniest thing I'd heard in a while. I was like, "Did she improv that, or is that in the script?" <laughs> and, and you do, it does. It, it has an incredible supporting cast. The, anything oh, yeah. else, Danny Trejo, you know, Timothy oh, Olyphant, yeah. Amy Sedaris, any other series yeah, would Amy, have them oh, as yeah. the main characters. Well, 100%. Seeing Danny Trejo come in along with Robert Rodriguez was just like the mashing of so many worlds. And, of course, the callback to Return of the Jedi, right, to Jabba the Hutt, to all of that. Yeah, I've almost forgotten about that, but that clearly is going to dovetail. So, yeah, and then when he's like, I'm going to go pay a visit to my little friend, and it's just like, you know, mic drop. <laughs> You know, yeah. So I was so geared up for this last one, and they, I believe, fully delivered on the promise of that in really incredible ways. Um, we got to see, we got to see Luke's school being built. I was just like, wow, you know. Yeah, and so my my, my count, 
there were six guest stars on last week's episode. Oh, yeah. Well, R2, of course, who's basically the character in every single Star Wars thing that's existed. R2-D2. Luke. Well, Luke, Ashoka. Ashoka. uh, uh, Gorgu. Yes. Oh, I know. Cobb Vance. Uh, That was insane. (laughs) As if they hadn't done enough, like that as the end was like, oh, boy. (laughs) And Yeah, I was like crying. I was kind of breathless by it all because it was, you know, you know, it's so funny. I saw this tweet that made me laugh so hard and it was um, only Star Wars fans would call it fan service to have characters from Star Wars appear in Star Wars. And I was like laughing so hard. I was like, exactly. They're in this universe. It's not fan service. This is Star Wars, right? These are their characters. It's not fan service to use them. And, and, and then, of course, Cad Bane. Uh, that was just stunning. That was just... To see him in live action and so beautifully rendered. The hat, that whole costume. I was like the man in black. And that they kept the voice the same. So much of that character is the voice. Well, exactly. And I think, like I said, that's the thing I've loved, which is, you know, instead of recasting, which is what a lot of things have done at times, they're not doing that they're not changing these characters or their voicing, you know, and I think that that's part of what's making it so fantastic. And the use of technology to do so is impressive. And, and, you know, I I think Dave Filoni is very open that he created Cad uh, Cad Bane based on Van Cleef's Angel Eyes from uh, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yep, and there's been a really funny meme or a great meme going around with, you know, Boba Fett, Mandalorian, and him on it as good, bad, and ugly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, good, bad, and ugly sort of ends in a, a three-way gunfight. Yep, it sure it, does. It's one it, of the greatest movies. And, and the deputy, you know, even though it's sort of a two-on-one and several three-on, you know, one, everybody, you know, that's the same as the same triangle pattern gunfight. Yep, and, you know, I even think, you know, obviously the music score for Mandalorian is heavily influenced by Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Oh, absolutely. Because you can't talk about that movie without the music. You know, the music is so iconic. But that sort of style of, of music, yeah. And I think what I love about these series is they know what they are at the core. They know they're Star Wars, but they know it's a Western. And Star Wars was always a Western. Oh, you yeah. Know? It was it's always all, heavily it, influenced by all this. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that episode was just stunning with each of these beats. And, you know, I think we really need to talk about Grogu. But, you know, the thing also that... So there are all these people who didn't really like the series until Din Djarin came back and Mandalorian came back. And then, of course, like, you can't... Like, what can they say negative? It's so fantastic. Bryce Dallas Howard's directing job on that episode, like, she should get her own movie or series ASAP. Like, her own Star Wars movie. Like, Bryce Dallas Howard. You know, Absolutely that was agree. cinematic directing at its finest. I think I think she could be as good as her dad in, in the end of it all. Um, and, you know, she definitely needs her shot on that. But, you know, so they couldn't say anything negative. So then they're just like, well, it just became Mandalorian season 2.5. And the only reason that's good is because Boba Fett isn't in it. 
and what is this? Why are they doing this? Why are they bringing these stories? And I'm like, do you not understand that Star Wars is an interconnected universe? It has always been interconnected. These shows are interconnected, right? We first got, you know, Fennec Shand in Mandalorian season one, right? And yeah. the hint of Boba Fett. That came in the first season. In the second season, they both came back and had important arcs, including Boba Fett getting his armor back. They're all bounty hunters. And, and she's connected. been in the Bad Batch, too. 100%. And it's all connected. Mandalorian is a bounty hunter. He's not in a vacuum. They're all bounty hunters or former bounty hunters. So it makes sense. It's not a, a digression. It's them building a story. And we know it's all about to dovetail. All of this is going to dovetail, right? Yes, and, and, and probably for decades. That's my Exactly. That's my point. And so you have to think of it as a universe. You can't think of these shows as being removed. It's the same if you watch the other universes, to me, that are connected this way are obviously the Marvel, the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, the DC Comics television shows. So that means you might be watching The Flash, but Green Arrow might be in it, right? Exactly. You might be watching, you know, whatever Marvel thing, and you might get a couple characters from other things or references to them because it's an interconnected universe. It's like, just look at the last, you know, Spider-Man movie, like how much stuff connected into that. So I think you have to think of Star Wars in the same way. And that's sort of my thing is like, you know, folks are impatient too. I'm like, give them a chance to build the story. Like give them a chance because they're going to blow your mind if you give it a shot you know, and have a little patience. Um, so I'm stoked to see how all these threads um, come together. Um, I think Cad Bane was a great choice because they needed a new villain. Unless Moff Gideon somehow gets out of prison, right? They He, he was a great villain. They're going to need a great villain for this and potentially for Mandalorian season three. And he is, besides Boba Fett, like probably the greatest bounty hunter, right? The, oh, absolutely. And he's, he's always been one of my personal favorites. Oh, he's fantastic. And, you know, I always say stories are only as strong as the villain. And I say this, writing villains. Um, if you don't have a great villain, you're not going to have a great story. Abs and so absolutely. He's, I think, a brilliant choice for them to have made this choice to make him, obviously, for sure in the end of this, the big bad. But potentially, and he's clearly working for the Pikes, but potentially into season three of Mandalorian. I'm curious to see if that he kind of becomes the new villain that Din Djarin has to kind of deal with, you know, because they're going to need a villain unless they're going to get Moff Gideon out, which they might, you know, he was great, great villain. Or, or I mean, I know things are always changing, but, you know, I would definitely sit to see a Cad Bane series. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, gosh, he's a great character. I mean, I think we're just going to get so much coming up um, that's really exciting. Um, but the big thing also for me that I, at the end of this last episode, I was like, I think I tweeted this. I was like, I'm kind of low-key mad at Master Luke right now. I'm upset with Luke, you know? And, and how, how, how so? It's really Grogu. So, you know, it's it's this thing where the training, you know, and this is a big criticism of, of Jedi and the attachments and how – you know, this this hundreds of years of them kind of pushing that to the extreme brought Vader, right? Anakin is a product of that, right? This idea yeah. that you can't have attachments. You know, we could all analyze how that led to him becoming Vader. And, you know, in, in the future, it will lead to Kylo Ren. <laughs> and so in watching Luke's school being built, what we know is that in not too long of a time, you know, Ben Solo is going to show up. 
Yep. And the end of that is going to be him killing everyone, right? Yep. And turning against Luke. So we know that Luke's teaching is actually a failed experiment. We know it doesn't work. And it doesn't work in the same ways that it failed his father, Anakin. And I think this attachment thing, you know, Grogu's a baby, for one, who's been through a lot, we know, because we see hints of his trauma, right? And we know he was trained as a Jedi in the past. Um, and bad things happened. To present him with the choice between the Beskar male from his father and Yoda's lightsaber, and he has to choose, you know. You know, and, and, and we haven't seen the final episode, but I almost thought, well, what if he takes both? What are you going to do, well, Luke? What are you going to do? That was my thought, because I think what Den Djarin is saying, which is that he is both a foundling and a Jedi, that yeah. rings the most true to me, that why is it an either or? And also the male is to protect him, right? It's a safety thing from his dad. And clearly Grogu thinks of Den Djarin as his father. That's, I think, pretty clear, right? Oh, so, yeah. And he misses him. And even that Den Djarin wasn't allowed to see Grogu really upset me. Um, you know, and I think obviously if it's a choice and can't have both, it's going to have to, I think he's going to go back to being a Mandalorian and a foundling. I think he's going to leave because also it would explain that from the beginning of this whole thing with Luke, I was like, oh my God, is Kylo Ren going to kill Grogu? If Kylo Ren kills Grogu, I am going to like lose it, you know, because I love him so much. Um, but this would also give them a way to get him out of the school before all of that, you know, befalls. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 definitely, and, and and I'm sure maybe it's just inklings now, but I think somebody in there's got an end game, but how they want to tell that story. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I think that you know we're just kind of excitingly excited to watch what unfolds. I think you know Yoda's lightsaber. The other thing that struck me is I'm like, okay, you say Luke, we can't have attachments, yet you're carrying around this lightsaber from your old mentor Yoda. You know, it's like it's too extreme of a philosophy. I did think it was hilarious when Grogu was waddling and like was like picking him up to make him walk faster. That was cracking me up. And, was... and, and, and you think, and I'm just sort of thinking it, you know, so we have the extreme on Jedi, but we also have the extreme of Mandalorian, you know, the, yep. the, the don't take off the helmet. So maybe, yeah, right. maybe Joe, uh, Gogu is going to be the, the new middle ground. Yeah, and that's a great uh, reference, actually, because uh, in both creeds or both training or both whatever you want to discuss them as, religions, whatever, um, that when you push the extreme, because the Mandalorian sect that Dinjarin came up in is considered an extreme sect of Mandalorian um, that came up, you know, a lot in the prior seasons. Um, yeah, exactly, that pushing to extremes maybe isn't the right thing and that having balance, because Boba Fett is clearly balanced. Ashoka, you know, is also kind of an interesting character because she's a great Jedi, right, or something. Like, yeah. Like yeah. she's trained, yeah. So I mean, I think if we're gonna go more in that direction, which I do think is this post-Vader kind of future um, uh, on all sides, you know. Because also, if you think about it, Den Djarin basically has a lightsaber. It's a it's a, the dark saber. Yep. Most relatable thing ever was when he cut himself with his own lightsaber. I was like, oh, so real. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That was so well, exciting, but but think about them together in their little Mandalorian armor with their their lightsabers. Because since the end of season two of Mandalorian, I was like, they better give Grogu a tiny baby lightsaber. He better get a tiny baby lightsaber, please. So I guess Yoda's lightsaber is the closest thing to a tiny baby lightsaber. 
<laughs> but also yeah. think think about him wielding that thing. He's still trying to levitate frogs out of the pond to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, first of all, I just really enjoy talking, uh, you know, about Star Wars with you, and, and we're glad to have you on the show. But keeping in mind that neither you or I ha- know really what's going on, nope. and that our audience is going to be listening to this with hindsight, do you have any oh, yeah. predictions for the final episode? Well, I think that your callback to Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and clearly, you know, Dave Filoni, John Favreau pitched this as this Western originally um, with Mandalorian, um, Robert Rodriguez's involvement, I think is a really good call. Um, I, You know, the ending where he shows up, uh, Cad Bane, it, it's clearly setting up a very kind of throwback to Italian spaghetti Westerns, I'm sorry, spaghetti Westerns um, kind of shootout, right? That it feels like we're going to get, you know, a, a team up for sure. You know, I did love the beat where um, Mandalorian Din Djarin uh, turned down payment from yes. Fennec Shan. I thought that was a beautiful beat, to be honest. And that he's not really a bounty hunter anymore in the traditional sense. And neither are they. But they're doing this now for other reasons. Um, and I think we're going to see the town, because um, that was sort of set up. And now that their sheriff is dead come together, or at least potentially dead, come together also. So it's going to be kind of the people versus this new syndicate. Uh, I think it's going to be awesome. They've set up so many what I call Chekhov's guns, you know, which is the yeah. idea of you, that need to be fired. And I think so many of them are set up, including, um, right, Danny Trejo and that whole thing. We haven't paid that off yet. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you're, you're not going to have a name like that and just have them for five oh. minutes on the, show, uh, the whole shit season. Yeah, and the creature, what's the creature's name? The things are so awesome. Uh, he's got to come out and play. The, the, the Rancor? Yeah, thank you, Rancor. I was blanking on it. Yeah, the Rancor. Well, we have, that's the Chekhov's gun that hasn't been paid off in the season yet. Right? You we haven't what? seen that thing get into business. Um, I want to reemphasize how much I love Fennec Shan's character and that they are giving her such a prominent place in this world, you know, is really great. It's so fun to see a, a person of color being, you know, the actor that plays Boba Fett. Um, you know, he's a New Zealander, he's native. Um, and Fennec Shan, who's an Asian actress, kind of spearhead a show like this. It's just mm. so cool. that and it's, it's natural to the world. You know, he's been playing these characters forever. It's not like they're trying, I think a lot of things nowadays are trying to, retroactively put diversity into them but actually star wars and a lot of sci-fi star trek too have been some of the better franchises historically with this stuff and and i love i love that you know around the fire the the music is is, uh reminiscent of uh, of the haka the new zealand war dances yes oh all of that there it felt like there was so much richness that they were kind of sourcing and, you know, like I said, Star Wars has always had this. I mean, I, I love Lando Calarizzi. He's one of my favorite characters. But even James Earl Jones is the voice of Vader, you yeah. know, who's, you know, we can't talk about, you know, how iconic. It's so funny because I'm, you know, I've been watching, I watched The Lion King recently and I was like, God darn, he's so good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like he's who I kind of characters. But my point is that I don't think it's, it, it just feels natural to me to have this in the world. And I think, They've just done such a nice job with it. You don't, you know, you don't notice it. It's just kind of in there. 
so I'm just so excited. Well, Danny Trejo is another example. Like, you know, he's a Latino actor. Like, it's just fun to see such a, a great tapestry, I guess is the better way to think about it, um, on screen. And uh, Pedro Pascal adds so much every time he's mm-hmm. in anything. He's, his voicing is so wonderful. I saw a thing where he was acting out in a, in a sound booth, and he had to hold something that was like like Grogu to like do his voice acting. <laughs> it was so cute. Yeah, this uh, what do you think is gonna happen? Oh yeah, what? Uh, yeah, James. I was I was watching uh, recently or a while back. Um, uh, Doctor Strangelove. Oh, and, and yes. you can't tell it by by the mask. They're all masks, but he's the navigator in the bomber. Oh my God, you're right. No, yeah. And as soon as he right. as soon as he says something, you go. And this was like like one of his first ever roles, you know. And so he's got to be mm-hmm. like in his young twenties. Oh, he's so great. Even Field of Dreams, like he's so good in that movie. Oh, yeah, I just, absolutely. He is just one of those actors that just has so much presence, no matter what he's doing, even if it's just voice acting. But, you know, his Vader voicing, I mean, you can't, you know, replace that. It's so iconic. And, you know, like I said, I was rewatching Lion King, Musafa, you know, his voicing of the king, you know, it's he's just incredible. So, yeah, what are your predictions for next week? I mean, I think um, my one thing is, like, what's going to go on with Grogu and Luke? Like, is that going to be answered in this season or not, right? Like, is that something we're going to have to wait for Mandalorian season three to see the the finish of that? Because you have to think he's that little that little glass pod where the droid goes in the Naboo fighter. Like, he's clearly going to be riding around in there like a little hamster in a ball, right? I, that's what my guess. So here, here's my thought. This is what I think is going to be the big, big twist. Mm-hmm. I'm going to think that it was not the Nikos that attacked the uh, Tuscan Raiders. Mm. I think I think it was the Pikes probably had Cad Bane do it, and I, I thought that 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 that, um, that they could get uh, oh, uh, Boba to kill off the the Nikos. Oh, that's smart. I can see that. That, that, that. So that's my prediction. We haven't really seen the face of the Pikes a lot on camera yet, or we just have been told they're coming, right? Yeah, so we've, we've seen a little. We've seen their, like, base, but, yeah, you're right. We haven't seen a lot. We and, seen, I mean, like, there's really a lot of rumors have. that they're going to have, a, like, a major bad guy at the very end be their boss. Well, exactly. That's what, that's kind of my point is it's like, and who could it be, right? Like, who could emerge? Um, you want to make some guesses? No, I don't know. I'm, like, nervous to make guesses. I'm like, who's still around that it could be? Could be Kira. Yeah, I can see that. Um. Trying yeah. to be close at this time. She's a um, cool character. That would be of, cool. Uh, I, yeah, I could, I could see Kira. Um, Do you know that Moff Gideon's still locked up? Moff Gideon. Um, well, he's got to reemerge at some point, you have to think. Because, you know, I always say when characters are sort of disposed of but not dead, 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 obviously in Star yeah. Wars, even then they come back because somehow... Uh, Palpatine came back in that last Star Wars, which I've sort of blacked out of my memory, and they were they were like, "How do you survive that?" I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But so so we can't count them out if they're still in existence. So so probably not. But deep deep dive from Legends, Prince Zazar. Ooh, that can be interesting. 
Yeah, I'm trying to think also, like, with Dave Filoni's involvement, who else could it be from, you know, the stuff that he's worked on? Because clearly we're bringing characters in. Like, Cad Bane was a great choice. Yeah. You know, now Ashoka's running around. Yeah, I think it's going to be really... They just have a lot that they've teed up and a lot to pay off and a lot that can happen. But, you know, obviously a lot's going to be left open. And we haven't even talked about, are we going to get an Obi-Wan teaser? Hopefully soon. Because, well, remember how they did the Boba Fett one at the end of Mandalorian? That's true. I would die. But, you know, I'm super stoked for Obi-Wan, mostly because it's the first time we're getting, like, a Jedi show. We haven't had a Jedi show like this. Yeah. Anyways, there's so much good stuff to look forward to. I know. We're going to look back and be like, we were wrong about everything. No, I think we were. Yeah, that won't be the first time in my life. (laughs) You know, but I think part of the fun with this is if they make you this excited about it and if you're thinking of all these ideas, that's what a good job they've done. Oh, absolutely. Telling a story, you know. And and how important it is to us as a fans, but as almost a, I hate to say this, almost as a a nation, as a people. No, I agree. And for me, it's like, you know, um, we started out when we first got on being like, how are you doing? It's like, oh, the world's still crazy. Uh, We keep thinking it might be normal and it keeps being not again. You know, one of the things that's really been a lifeline for me my whole life is writing and telling stories because that's literally what I do. And I write mostly sci-fi, fantasy, horror kind of stuff, which is very, um, I want to call it fully escapist, but, you know, other worlds. Um, But one of the saving graces has been content, you know, because you're at home a lot more, at least a lot of people are. I can't speak for everyone. I've been home a lot more. I've always been kind of a homebody. Um, but having yeah. these and, and being able to have conversations, even just on social media about these shared experiences, even though we're not at, in the world as much doing them. Like, for example, I used to go to a lot of concerts. Well, that's not something music events. That's not something I've been doing in the last two years. But these shows, you know, sh- are like kind of the best of what we can do as a species, I think, which is create, you know, tell great stories with great messaging. You know, so it's been, I, I say this, if, you, if you're if you a Star Wars fan, this is one of the best times to be alive and experiencing it. You know, I say the same thing for Marvel. If you're a Marvel fan, this is one of the best times, you know. Uh, it's absolutely. Just, and you know, and boom, sort of boom, a boom, weird boom. way that it kind of helps me during the, the pandemic it mm-hmm. is I completely, you know, I, I, what day is it? What day is it? Now, I know yep. what Wednesday is. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Same. Like I, I, like time was always kind of blurry for me, but it got extra blurry um, with everything. But you're right. I'm hyper aware of when this is going to come out. Uh, and I think the staggering is nice because it's this collective experience. And, you know, I stay up late on Tuesdays because I want to see it. What I want to do actually going into this new episode is I want to rewatch the last two before because they're so great. And there's probably, it'll probably get a whole lot of new stuff. Exactly. Well, well, thank you so much. And I really hope hope that we can maybe have you on again uh, when, uh, when the, uh, oh, the, the uh, short story collection comes out. That would be super fun. That's going to be in June. And yeah, there's a, you know, I'm in it, obviously I'm writing under Vera Strange for that one, but there's just Delilah Dawson's in it, Sam Maggs. There's like a lineup of some really amazing uh, writers uh, all doing different characters. Um, and Jake Bartok, who's uh, kind of a fan favorite Star Wars artist, did the cover and he's doing all the spot illustrations. So each story is getting an illustration. Uh, so I'm super excited for that to come out and just to kind of see what, what, what readers think about it. And it's technically actually a middle grade anthology, although, I mean, Star Wars is one of those things where, you know, 
all ages can enjoy all the content, you know, because like, you know, Clone Wars are like, oh, that's for kids. Well, not really. Right. No. Even Bad Batch. Right. Like, oh, that might be for kids. No, no. All the it, adults are watching. It, it's OK for kids. Exactly. It's not objectionable to kids, but no, it, it's it's much more intelligent. 100%. And I think that's true of this collection. Um, and, and that's something I love because, you know, we Disney Chill series middle grade. I love that it, it brings younger fans and readers into these universes and gets them excited to read and to be involved. And one of the best things Star Wars has done is to build out the sophistication in the publishing universe. Like, yeah. even things like building out High Republic is so smart. They're building that in books first getting all the characters, the mythology, and then my prediction is they'll build scaffolding into TV and film off of all that publishing work. So it gives yeah. them, like, this great underlying source material. I would say the reason the MCU is so strong, why? Think about how many writers and artists worked on all those comics for all those decades. Ab- Look at how absolutely. much they can pull. That's why the stories are so strong, because they have this foundation underneath it all already built out. And I think Star Wars is... Always been very, um, that was one of Lucas's visions was to do more than just, you know, films. You know, he always wanted it to be this universe, and his vision is playing out now in, in a great way. So, anyways, that's my long winded way of saying I'm excited about all the things going on. Absolutely. And thank you so much. And like I said, I can't wait uh, until something else Star Wars comes out so we can have you on the show again, maybe even before that. Yeah, thanks, David. Yeah, oh my gosh, let's talk Obi-Wan. But yeah, thanks for having me on. Always fun to talk about this stuff. I'm excited for Wednesday. Welcome to Yuzma, stranger. Hi, I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know... Uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show.
Oh yeah, so yeah, the mayor doesn't want us to talk about uh, the heavy construction equipment that's in the cemetery. Uh, mayor doesn't want us to talk about anything that's going on out by the landfill or the and, woods. And all mysterious glowing lights have to be referred to as swamp gas? Uh, I think we're not even supposed to talk about that kind of stuff right now. Oh, okay. Any Anything that we're allowed to talk about is the kind of stuff that's going on in the brochure right now. Um, I don't think anyone's gotten hurt. It's just, it's, it's, we're trying to get people into town, uh, with COVID and everything, but, um, yeah, um. I think you pushed the button. Oh, no one's going to hear this. There, there's if, like a red button going. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. No one's going to hear this unless they're a patron or something, so I'm, okay. I'm, I'm going to cut this part out. All right, okay. cool. D&D uh, on D&D in... Hey, everyone. It's me, D.B. Spitzer and Farmer Dave. Farmer Dave, how's everything out on the farm these days? It's going well. We yeah. uh, we may, when I walk out in a few minutes, we may have a couple of baby sheep. We'll Ooh. Baby goats in about six months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of terrible weather to have kidding going on, but, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's super rainy and uh, it's a bit sloshy out right now. I mean... Mm. Hasn't hasn't snowed. I thought it was gonna snow, but it didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I I I, uh, uh, I don't know what do you call it. Uh, perceived. I I predicted that it was gonna snow around this time of year because it normally snows around this time of year, but it didn't this year. Yeah. yeah anyway, uh, there's a bunch of stone chunks that predicted some stuff and talked it about some other stuff. Um, bunch of things about uh, Yithians and some rules and uh, burial rites probably. I don't know. But it's... So, uh, what is it, Dave? So it's the Elton Shards. A little bit of history on the Elton Shards. Is it, is it a real thing? No. Okay, cool. No, so... And there is and there is no actual I looked it up. I tried to find there is no actual town of Elton. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. So in the United States. So we did so it gets a little bit confusing here because sure. many, many people think that Lovecraft created the Elton charts. Uh huh. He did not. He uses them in reference and but they were actually um, created by um, Richard F. Searight or oh. Searight, yeah, and and Searight is, is wants to. He's a poet. He writes some stories, but he really loves the pulps. He wants to be part of it. Mm -hmm. So he writes. He starts in correspondence with Lovecraft and becomes actually one of Lovecraft's correspondents. That's cool. Um, now Lovecraft did not throw. Lovecraft only the only you know the only person's letter Love, Lovecraft destroyed. Uh huh. Do you know who that is? No. Sonia Green's. Uh. He burned all of his ex-wife's letters, but those are the only letters that he ever destroyed. What a baby. <laughs> yeah. That's anyway, another episode that's, there. That's right? another episode. I think that hurt him more than he admits. Yeah. Yeah. But but um, so so we have all of um. Or nearly, as far as we know, all Seawright's uh, uh, letters to Lovecraft. Uh -huh. But we also have Seawright kept and his son Franklin kept uh -huh. and preserved yeah. all of Lovecraft's letters to Seawright. Okay. 
And so Seawright wants to be a writer. All right. And they, they uh, in the, since the 90s, um, at least two different books have published all these letters. They're around about 90 pages tight. Sure. Okay. And one of the valuable, Seawright never used Lovecraft as an editor or as a revisionist or a ghostwriter. Although some of C. Wright's writings in the German version, uh-huh. they're credited as being co-written by Lovecraft. Okay. I don't speak German, so I can't do a lot of verification. Okay. But as near as I can tell, they're credited, but they're not. Lovecraft never revised these. He didn't edit them. Huh. But what he does do yeah. is he writes down his rates what he charges to do for what type of work. Huh. And so this becomes very important document of you know Lovecraft in his time. Yeah. So so one of the stories that C. Wright writes um, is the uh, oh the sealed casket. All right. And it's a it's a Lovecraft in pistache. But he writes on the first part, there's sort of the the, the, the header part. Uh-huh. He he quotes um, the Elton uh, shards, in which, uh, and then he mentions it in the body of the story. Uh-huh. Well, Fonsworth Wright, when he publishes this in 1935 in Amazing uh, Stories. Uh-huh. He leaves out the header part. Huh. So either because he didn't think it added to the story. Yeah. Or because he was paying for a word. Yeah. For or, or a little bit of both. Sure. But he cuts this part out. So Lovecraft had seen the original version. Like I said, he didn't he maybe commented, he didn't edit, he didn't revise it, but he'd seen the original version because C. Wright nailed it to him with the header so Lovecraft writes down that and says from the Elton Shards and sends it to Clark Ashton Smith mm-hmm, mm-hmm. passes it around so people think that Lovecraft is creating this book this that he is actually created by Seawright mm-hmm. now Lovecraft loves this story he loves this idea that there's these pre-human fragments. Yeah. So he brings them up in a challenge from beyond. He uses them. He also mm-hmm. mentions them in um, uh, uh, in several of his stories, though, but, but especially challenge from beyond. Yeah, yeah. What he doesn't do is talk to the guy who creates it. Oh, I mean, see, right? The, Lovecraft's sure. his hero, you know? Yeah. Lovecraft uses this, this great. But afterwards, Seawright writes um, a story which is very um, the um, very much a Lovecraft uh, Pistache, mm-hmm. uh, and that is the Warder of Knowledge. Okay. In which he writes a completely different history than Lovecraft just wrote this book. So Lovecraft has him finding it in England, 
and Seawright has it some city. The Elton was some city in America, presumably the Midwest. Okay. And, and the thing that, that sort of leads towards the word of knowledge in, in Seawright's version is that, you know, it, it's able to summon the water of knowledge, which is its big floating head with tentacles. Uh-huh. It gives you all this knowledge, but it, like, overwhelms you and stuff and destroys, uses it against you. But the parts that are missing is the part to dismiss the the water of knowledge. Gotcha. Where Lovecraft had him in England. <laughs> and so we... So... Lovecraft all of a sudden realized he's published one version and then Seawright is sending him another version of the history mm-hmm. and it's Seawright's creation. Yeah, yeah. So Lovecraft, either out of embarrassment or because he really believes it or because he really did kind of self-mock himself, he says to Seawright, well, I am absolutely sure that history is going to remember your version over mine. Yeah, yeah. Now, the thing is, Seawright's version, he, uh, the casket story was published in his mm-hmm. lifetime, but the Water of Knowledge is not going to be published until the 90s. Weird, okay. So, and that's when Price goes out and contacts and starts working with Seawright's son, Franklin, uh-huh. gets the manuscripts, publishes and publishes the letters. So for this period of time, from you know, the, the 30s to the 90s, we don't have Seawright's version. So people go off of Lovecraft's version of the story, mm-hmm. is that they were found in England and dug up. I, I honestly he never said it, but I think I always thought Lovecraft was sort of associated with the Piltdown Man. Yeah. Um, so there's, yeah, so there's two in canon stories and the one that Lovecraft predicted uh, either out of modesty or embarrassment or because he honestly believed it would be the famous one Yeah, is the less known version of the two and so that's why uh, that's why they kind of divided divided it into two different versions Yeah, And, and that even more scary if you find these things that's been you know in whatever pre-Cambian times, but you find the exact copies in the U.S. Midwest and in England, yeah. which, you know, during that time, maybe <laughs> the continents were all bunched to one. That's even more scary and mm-hmm. supernatural to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Realizing how old they are. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, something I wanted to talk about, though, is how do you get that 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 terror of deep age? How do you get that, um, like, there's, there's, it's, it's like something older than dragons. It's, it's like people, people look for stuff that's like thousands of years old. I mean, I guess it's like people in the Iron Age looking for stuff in the Bronze Age. Uh, <laughs> people, people in the Iron Age or people in the Renaissance looking for like Stone Age magic from giant reptiles. But this is, this is like, I don't know. It's like I'm trying to think of fantasy stuff where people are like, oh yeah, we need to get this thing that's from like the, it's like if anything, it's like the dawn of time and it's never like, it's like the scariest thing is like, oh yeah, this is like uh, when when 
when hope slayed fear and there was a teardrop and that teardrop turned into this sword and it's like it's never scary and it's like it's it's, it's like how, how do you how do you make deep time scary and fantasy <laughs> and, and, and you know there's there's something in the human psyche that protects us yeah. from this this idea of infinity yeah uh, i sort of one example sort of non-magical um conan's sword mm-hmm. he has a sword from atlantis yeah well atlantis is you know the kingdom the geographical formation before him yeah um not deep time but one of the with the the documentary that's documentary air quotes that sci-fi channel did on the Blair Witch Project I don't know if you ever saw that oh sure yeah much much scarier much more scarier than the Blair Witch definitely they find the videotapes and undisturbed potash from colonial times yeah yeah that you think of that is scary you know I, there's the I don't know if you've ever seen the the x-ray inside the rock and there's a battery there's a, a spark plug in it yeah yeah you know that's yeah, that is that this this rock that sort of formed faster than around the champion spark plug mm-hmm. but you know that is thinking that is that is scary yeah when you find sort of these artifacts and, and you know i think another one that lovecraft did um you know is when uh shadow out of time mm-hmm. he goes to this free humans you know he finds his own handwriting yeah yeah i think uh i think it was dennis detweiler who wrote a uh, scenario for Delta Green that involves people finding their own stuff in Precambrian rock because of, uh, I don't want to spoil it, I don't want to spoil it, um, but scientists that you, you show up at a place and scientists are freaking out because they found their own stuff in the rock that they're excavating. And uh, I, I don't, want to say you should rip that off for your Dungeons and Dragons but um, I've definitely uh, ran across books and stuff like that that had like sages digging up uh, like stuff from uh, (laughs) a previous time and like you know but it's like how does that relate to uh, so so another kind of example of that yeah, uh, is Star Trek: The Next Generation mm-hmm. when they're exploring San Francisco and they find uh, Data's decapitated body. Yeah, yeah, but I, I'm trying to think like, what does that have to do with the Elton shards? And I'm, I'm like, oh, Dag Nabbit, um, and it's 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 like the Elton shards are like this thing that are so old. It's like, how do you make that scary in and, and the only thing I can think of is like to like start messing with time, in in, in like D and D stuff because like time can get scary in D and D, like stuff being really old. I feel like science isn't there and magic isn't there enough to like really, you know, make deep time scary. But to have time affect you in some way because something's so old, um, or monsters that are from that time period showing up. That's that's something. But I feel like any other game, you can just like 
just be like, oh yeah, um, we, we just showed up on this planet and, you know, this planet is supposed to be in an area that like there's been like zero civilization ever. There's like no way anything can grow here. But for some reason, you know, um, you know, there's no aliens out there, but there's like a shed with uh, stuff written in books and it looks like someone's been living here. Human, um, there's no atmosphere on this planet, but for some reason, you know, a human was living here at some point in time. <laughs> and, and, you know, and the thought is, you know, we think of it as, and I think they're described sort of as sort of very primitive drawings. Yeah. But what if we're finding something more advanced than we have now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Definitely finding, like, out-of-place uh, out objects. Like, you never hear of, like, people finding out-of-place objects that are, like, technologically advanced that we're just sort of like I, I don't know I don't we don't know what it is it's it's beyond our understanding it still functions and it's beyond our understanding it's not the kind of stuff you hear about what you hear about is it's like oh yeah this thing it uh, it was a wrench and it fell out of a pipe uh, it fell fell out of a crease of coal <laughs> or um, you know, round balls, or, or, or in like Lovecraft stories, you you hear about things like the uh, Elton shards, and I don't know. I I think like uh, if 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 you can figure out how to do it in a Shadowrun game or uh, a GURPS game or something like that, uh, depending on like what the topic is in your GURPS game, um, like. That can be scary in a vampire game. That can be scary in a, a cowboy game where people are kind of understanding how old stuff is. Being like, wait a minute, you're trying to tell me that someone wrote this message to us back before dinosaurs were? You wait a minute, you're trying to tell me that. <laughs> back when there were only jellyfish. Someone wrote a message to us in English, <laughs> but uh, the Elton shards are not in English. They're they're in I don't know what language. I've I, I've always said Yithian. But... <laughs> uh, I think that they are. They're not. It's not Eklo. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh... Are you looking at the book? Yeah, I'm looking up. One other thing, just to sort of a difference between Seawright and Lovecraft. Yeah. Seawright has it in the Triassic. Oh, yeah. And Lovecraft has it in the Carboniferous. Yeah, I, I don't know if Lovecraft had a choice on that. I think that was a uh, round-robin storytelling, and someone else uh, chose what time period something was from. Yeah. But it, yeah. it, it could have been Lovecraft who said, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I've always that it's been sort of the pre-human language. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 just, I don't think it ever says which one. Yeah, I, I always assumed Yithian, and I always assumed that it's like, I don't know, something that someone kept that they thought, stuff that people kept uh to try and like tell the story of what happened like 
about the Yithian civilization because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that, it, that it's only described as a pretty human language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, no, no, I, uh, uh, I either figured it was uh, Yithian or it described uh, like the war between everyone that was going on in some pre-human language by uh, elder things, possibly, possibly Star Spawn. Like if it was written by Star Spawn, hey, no one ever says anything about that. That's that's a good. That's hey, no, that that'd be interesting. Uh, it, it could even be Deep Ones, and that would make sense. Well, it wouldn't make sense why it was in Jurassic anything. So yeah, no, not Deep Ones. Uh, not even the. Oh, I'm trying to remember their names. The people who lived in like. Uh, near Sarnath, and they're the reason that... Uh, Ib? The creatures of Ib? I believe so. I believe so. It may be the creatures of Ib. The uh, lackadaisical, uh, hanging out in the water all day... Uh, the creatures of Ib. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, could have been the creatures of Ib. They were, you know, it's like very, very long time ago. Their civilization was dying out, and, you know, maybe in its heyday, they, they, they wrote the tablets. Who knows? Uh, yeah. So yeah. Well, one more like thing I'd like to throw out. Oh sure, yeah. And and, and I, I can't really discuss because my copy is in the mail. Oh okay. But um, F Frank uh, Franklin Seawright, Seawright's uh, son, uh -huh. collected all the different versions or stories that talked about. Uh, the Elton Shards. Oh, cool. And it's in a book, book you can still get from the Amazon. Yeah. It's called Those Dreadful Elton Shards. Well, I'll have to put a link to that in the show notes. It, which he collects the different, uh, different, uh, yeah, different Elton's stories where they appear. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And so one last thing I say as a game, though. Uh-huh. You know, maybe... Like I said, there, there's parts missing mm -hmm. from our Elton shards, and that's, you know, that's spoiler alert for even though the book was published in the 90s, it was written in the 30s, Sure. you know, but so it doesn't have that missing part, so maybe we've released some sort of reading the Elton shard that we do. Mm -hmm. And now you've got to find the third collection, the complete Elton shard Ooh. that hasn't been brought out. Yeah. To, to, to vanquish whatever that is that we released. Definitely, definitely. Good thing, good thing there's that uh, art collection in South America that, uh, you know, y you and your friends, you can, you can just uh, hop onto a, uh, a freighter, a slow boat to South America and uh, go on some uh, adventures to uh, get those shards so that you can stop Azathoth from eating Earth. I don't know. I, I'm just spitballing stuff right now. <laughs> yeah, or, or the return of the the full manifestations of the water of knowledge. Oh yeah, sure, sure. And like something I just thought of is the Elton Shards uh, could be like a series of uh, kind of like a story of what happened and like the best way to be like oh yeah you know there's a time before dragons and uh, the dragons like wrote some stuff down and or, or like the 
people who existed before dragons wrote some stuff down warning not to go here and like you know we went there uh yeah and 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 then you know you kind of like maybe see some sort of like uh I don't know, uh, wall reliefs like the Elder Things have. Maybe it was written by Elder Things, and it just kind of, like, gives you a better scope that, like, you know, uh, it, it causes D&D characters to actually have, like, I don't know, uh, uh, sanity issues because it's like, wait a minute, what? We had no idea time even went back that far. Make, make a uh, wisdom roll with disadvantage. Yeah. <laughs> for the whole time that they're there. For the whole time they have to deal with anything like that ever again. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 if you have if you're listening to this part and you have any ideas on how to use how to use it, I mean, um maybe uh every couple of hundreds of years a specific type of monster uh, flies out of the sky and attacks your 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 planet, your your fantasy world, and the Elton shards just happen to have the 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 you know the what to do, and it's it's not the broken part; it's just some boring part. Uh, you know, may, maybe it talks about how to like that kind of the mislead is. It, it, you know, someone says, oh, in five years, this great evil's gonna come, but we don't have the part, then we need you to go do this. And then you have, like, some sort of alien invasion of, like, some squid, squid, uh, Starro-type guys, and, oh, we just need to, uh, I don't know, eat, eat, eat spicy foods, and then they can't get in our mouths, and, uh, can't take us over, and, anyway, uh, <laughs> Just ideas. <laughs> yeah, and I, I definitely, and I think, you know, if it's gonna be a fantasy, uh -huh. maybe the Elton Shards are carved on um, uh, ancient dinosaur bones. Ooh, yeah. Or, or ancient dragon bones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, uh, it's it's uh, in 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 a basement of a place, or not the basement, but in the uh, tunnels beneath a uh, place that the dragons are like. This is like our oldest temple, and there's stuff yeah. below it that's even older. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, uh, and I, I keep trying to think of what other kind of fantasy stuff do you have that's uh, like. Uh, if, if if you go with like sword and sorcery stuff, it's 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 like it. I I feel like deep time is a little bit more understood, but I don't know when you, you start going into like millions of years for other people, it's like it was a long time ago. Oh, before the this yeah, like before that. Well, what about this? Was it before the creation of the universe? No, it wasn't before that. But it was it was it was some period of time between this. In the creation of the universe, so it was, it was a period of time we didn't write about. So that's why it's special. <laughs> well, if you know, it's like it, it seems like it can cause as many problems as 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 you may find solutions for. But it's 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 like uh, I don't know. And then if you have like something that's so so advanced in the future, like you know, Star Wars-y type stuff, or, or, or like, um, it's, 
No, I mean, I I know it's a galaxy long, long ago, far, far away, but, you know, if, if you run across something that's just like, oh yeah, it's some ancient, ancient civilization talking about what happened. I guess that's interesting for an archaeologist. Too bad we're busy fighting a battle <laughs> and it has nothing to do with anything that's going on. Um, but and 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 also it's it's I don't know it's it's I could see how it could be super useful and but not useful for other types of things like if you're in some sort of game where it's like supercomputers run everything and I don't know it's it's he couldn't use it in a comedy game it wouldn't make much sense unless it's like oh my goodness we collected all 23 tablets oh you broke them i mean yeah. <laughs> yeah. and that may be something that it's like um how you end up coming across it not as in a comedy game but it's like uh you're you're a grad student who is pieced with not translating but just putting together all these like chunks of uh, whatever, uh, basalt. I don't know, everyone seems to be crazy about basalt and, uh, basalt in, uh, those, those Lovecraftian stories. So, uh, and, you know, have to put it together and, I don't know, do rubbings of it, or at least their job is to put it together. Someone else on the team is to do rubbings, someone else is to translate it, and someone else is to photograph it. And that's, that's why the student team is together to, uh, but it's 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 like you can't really do that with like fantasy, um, other than it's like oh you could use the Elden shards as like something they have to go get, and then like try and find someone to translate to try and stop some great evil that's coming. That's that's the best I can come up with. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's something that people can work with. Yeah, yeah. Send us send us your ideas. PGTTCM dot com or pgttcm.gmail.com or pgttcm at gmail.com. Anyway, um, I'm kind of sad right now, Dave. One, the show's over. Two, I'm at a Copper Cow Coffee and my shipment hasn't shown up yet because I just figured out that I was out of coffee and I haven't gotten a subscription. I know you don't drink the coffee, Dave, but if you did, I think you would enjoy it. Um, Copper Cow Coffee, a sponsor of the show. Check out the show notes to find out what shows help us so you can help them. And let's see what else. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. Happy John Frum Day. If you're hearing this, those have already happened. And happy Black History Month. And happy February. And hopefully we'll have some cool stuff next week. Well, I know we'll have cool we stuff. Will we have will have some cool stuff next week. And uh, hopefully the radio station will be heated again and I won't have to do stuff from home anymore because um, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to knock on any wood, but I might be working back in the studio again. Dave will still be working from the farm because that's the best thing for him to do currently. All right, everyone. We will see you in the future. Have a wonderful day. Uh, locally, if you are listening to this live, uh, go down to Oblivions for John Frum and also Valentine's Day. Uh, if you are listening to this right now on the intercom system, uh, let's see. Oh, 
yeah, yeah, you've got three hours for the uh, deluxe meal for two, which I believe is corned beef commercial, and uh, happy hour over at Oblivion's is going to be going on until February 18th. So Every hour is happiness hour, but yeah. only certain hours are yeah. happy hour. Yeah, don't tell the OLCC, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll get mad. All right, okay. everyone, thank you so much. We'll see you next time. I don't know what we're talking about, and uh, Dave will have to send me an email on that. We'll talk to you uh, next time, everyone. All right, have a good one. Bye. Bye. That was a good episode. Yeah.